<clears throat> Amen. I uh, encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're taking a one-week break from our series in John. I'll explain why that is in a moment. While you're turning there, I wanted to uh, put two announcements before you that are not in your order of worship because um, they're a little bit too far out to make the uh, bulletin. I think there's a policy of three weeks for that. Um, so, but this is something I really want everybody to have on their calendar and to be thinking about. Uh, you'll be hearing a lot about it in the coming week, um, days, week, weeks ahead. But I, I did want to get it on, get it before you. Uh, the first is that the last sun, the last weekend of October, last Sunday of October is Reformation weekend, is Reformation Sunday, which is always a special Sunday here at Tate's Creek. Um, and we're going to continue to make that so. But um, as many of you know, this is actually the fifth hundredth. 500, yeah, you know, it would be a long time, 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And so this is really the, the, the birth date of um, the Protestant church, of our theology, and all these different things, and it's, it's important. So we're going to make a big deal of it this year. So we would like for you to make plans for that whole weekend. We are respecting um, Sunday night. What we're going to do is Saturday morning. Again, the details are coming to you uh, this week. But Saturday morning, uh, we're going to have donuts and coffee, and we're going to gather together. And I am going to lecture on the Reformation, which uh, may sound like incredibly boring to some of you. But um, I promise it's a fascinating story. I'm going to tell the story of Martin Luther. I'm going to tell of how it all came to be. And uh, it's really, really neat history that you needed to know. Uh, then we'll, we won't have anything Saturday night. Uh, we come back Sunday morning. We will have um, our normal Reformation Sunday, full orchestra. It's going to be beautiful, glorious. Between services, I'm going to have another lecture that I'm going to be doing, a combined Sunday school class for the adults and uh, kids who want to come, uh, where I will be talking a little bit more about the distinctives and theology of the Reformation. And then that Sunday night, uh, we are going to gather together as just a whole church family with no agenda except to uh, feast and enjoy ourselves and have a picnic, and uh, that'll be great together. So it's going to be a fun weekend. I just want to get that before you so you are already thinking there and have a circle on your calendar. And then the next weekend is the, the first weekend of November, um, so a month is um, we, today is actually the first day of the fiscal year. We, we are on a schedule that uh, goes, starts in October. And so we are beginning a new year fiscally, a new budget and all these different things that your session approved uh, last week. We are going to set aside uh, the first Sunday of November in the, during the Sunday school hour for me to uh, talk about that. And this is a change. For those of you who have been around for a while, uh, this is a little bit of a change of the way we do budgeting, the way we do communication, uh, the way we do casting of the vision and so forth. Um, in the past, we would approve the budget. You wouldn't necessarily know everything that's involved in that, not necessarily sure of where um, your tithes and giving are going. Um, and then we would have one congregation meeting in February, so just a few months later, where uh, we, would, we would put the numbers up there and very quickly go through it, but really uh, ha really never had a time where we uh, just in full disclosure, that's not because we were hiding anything, but it's just the way we've always done it. And um, we think a more effective way to do, and we're changing it this year, is at the beginning of the year to put the budget before you, um, to clearly explain where um, your giving is going, to clearly explain all of the exciting things that are taking place as a result of your tithes and offering, and to cast a vision. 
for where we are going and to cast a vision for the need for sacrificial giving. Uh, we want to be really transparent and open and honest with communication. And so that is going to be taking place the first Sunday of November. So I want everybody, especially if you call yourself a member of TCPC, to be there and to be at that meeting between services that will take place here in the sanctuary where we kind of explain all of that and cast the vision. Again, you're going to be hearing a lot more about both of those in the coming weeks, but I wanted to go ahead and get that before you. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse 12 because it sets it up, but really uh, we're going to be looking at 14 through uh, 26. But verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, are, are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The word of the Lord. Help us, O oh God, to see wonderful truths from your word. Unite us together as your people. Show us not just the need for community, but the demand for the community. Help us to see, Lord, um, the, that the, our tendency to withdraw into selfishness and isolation and um, to flee community is sinful and uh, bring repentance that we might move towards each other um, bearing the inconveniences of love. Use your word to shape us, to challenge us, yes, Lord, toward community, but to shape us as a community this morning, we pray. Amen. Today is a very important one in the life of our church as we launch, as Mark said already, and we have been promoting a lot this past month, as we launch what we hope to be um, an organized system that will cultivate community within our congregation, and we think this is much needed. Um, you, I want you to know uh, that this is an enormous burden for us as pastors and elders. We are excited about the growth in membership over the past few years. We're excited that we have been able to plant a new, uh, healthy, vibrant congregation Downtown, We are excited about our missions partnerships and all the international work that we are able to be a part of. We're excited about 
on the flourishing campus ministries that are taking place in the campuses of Central Kentucky, things like the Good of the Bluegrass Conference that we've started, all of these endeavors that tend to get a lot of, intention, of attention, we are very excited about. But you need to know that in the midst of all of these exciting things, we are equally passionate. And I would even go so far as to say, especially this year, more passionate for this mundane idea of a local church doing life together in community. And the parish groups are our best effort to provide a structure for that to take place. And so I thought, um, because we are so passionate about this, because we, um, we, we believe so much in this, and this is so important to us this year, um, I thought it warranted a one-week break from our series for a sermon that I hope will both challenge and disciple us in the area of community. And I would say this, oh, how desperately do we need to be challenged here um, and discipled here? Because speaking very frankly, our culture is witnessing the death of community if it is not dead already. Connected to everyone by technology and yet utterly alone. This is the world we inhabit. Not just a world where selfishness is a part of our culture. That's true of every culture in the history of the world, but a culture that actually celebrates and even pursues this tendency of selfishness and self-absorption. I read an article yesterday that I honestly would have thought was satire piece were it not published in the New York Times. Let me read an excerpt. Laura Messi has, been, uh, has seen a long-term relationship crumble in recent years. Yet from the ruins of that long-term love affair gone wrong, she has risen and found marital, marital bliss in her own unique way. Messi had told her friends that if she didn't meet her soulmate by the age of 40, she would still get married to herself. And recently, she followed through with that plan. And so that's what this lady did. She literally married herself. She had a ceremony, invited guests. She had a $12,000 gown. She had a layered cake with just a figure of a one bride on top of the cake that she cut and fed to herself. She, um, she went on an extravagant honeymoon by herself. And here's the crazy thing. She's not alone in this. I mean, she is alone in that, actually. She's, she's very alone in her marriage. <laughs> But she's not alone in this trend. You've heard of polygamy, I know. Well, the newest trend, and it is taking place and taking root, is solo-gamy. I'm going to marry myself. I want you to know that as ridiculous as that may sound to you, equally ridiculous is the idea of individualism within Christianity. I'm calling it here the myth of the individual Christian. Because that's exactly what it is. A myth. You cannot be an isolated Christian doing Christianity alone any more than someone can be an isolated spouse doing marriage alone. Biblically speaking, the idea of a Christian alone doing the me and Jesus thing is as ridiculous as the idea of someone marrying 
themselves. Marriage necessarily means two. Christianity necessarily means community. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12 to see Paul make this point in no uncertain terms. He famously uses the um, allegory of a body and of the many implications of that imagery. There are many implications of that. But I have chosen two for us this morning to focus on. They're very simple, as straightforward as they can be. And here they are. The body needs you, and you need the body. The body needs you. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Very simple point. That Christ's presence on earth is made up of the many members who call themselves followers of Christ. He calls it the actual body of Christ. The imagery of the body has many implications, but the most basic one is the point I'm trying to make here. It leaves no room for isolation as a possibility for any Christian. If it is true that we are a body, then there is literally no possibility for a Christian to live in isolation because to be a Christian is to exist connected to other parts as much as the parts of our bodies are connected. Whether we think we need community or not is not the point. Whether we want community or not is not the point. None of that makes any difference. You are bound to community is the point. Paul speaks of it as an assumed, stated fact. A choice that has already been made for you by the Lord Jesus himself. Not a choice that is left up to you. Look at verse 14. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. Meaning, the definition of a body requires diversity, but not just diversity, inseparable diversity. The image, in other words, the image of the church, the image of God's people in Scripture is not a bunch of people holding hands together. Not a bunch of people in a room together. The image is only one person, but made up of all of us. We are parts of a whole, not individuals that make up a whole. And that makes all the difference in the world. What that means is that to be a Christian existing outside of community is not to be an isolated person, an, an alone person. It is to be that freaky hand thing that ran around the Adams family. Some of you are too young to catch that. There's, a, there's an Adams family. They, they did a sitcom. It's just a monster family. I don't know. And, and they had a pet that was like just the severed hand that ran around the house. That is, that is a picture of Christian outside community. Not a person by themselves, a part of a body trying to exist by itself. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. <laughs> 16. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If you are a foot, you can say all day long you don't belong, but you're still a foot. And feet do, in fact, belong on bodies. If you're an eye, 
You can say all day long that you don't belong, but you're still an eye. And eyes do, in fact, belong on bodies. Continue on, verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would be the body? Here's the point he's making. To forsake community is to cripple the body. It is to literally maim the body of Jesus Christ. You don't choose to be an eye. You are an eye. And if you forsake Christian community, then you have rendered the community blind. If you are a foot and you forsake Christian community, then you have rendered the community lame. Now, if we adopt this paradigm of community, then what happens is this. To reject community in the name of individualism no longer hurts you, it hurts us. You are maiming the body of Christ. We desperately need to regain this understanding of community, um, especially in the modern church. Here, here's why. I hear in the church today, I think the church has picked up on the individualism of our age. I, th- I think that's true. And I think that the church is pushing back against that with this kind of resurgence of a call to community. I think com- community is definitely a buzzword in our churches. But ironically... These calls to community seem to me to only reinforce our individualism and self-obsession. And here's why. Community is only spoken of in terms of your needs. Do community because it'll be good for you. Do community because it will aid you in your, get this, individual relationship with Jesus. It's still about you and Jesus, but go get in a Bible study because that's going to help you and Jesus. Now, it's obviously true that, 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 that we suffer without community. We're going to get to that point in a moment. But this way of understanding community as it's all about me receiving only turns community into more of my own self-obsession. But in reality... The community is suffering without you. What if it wasn't only about me and my needs? What if it was about the community and its needs? And I have a role to play, a gift to offer, a life to give, a resource to contribute. And to reject community is to reject my destiny within the body of Christ. That changes things. See, if community is just all about you receiving, then some of you are going to say here, you know what, I don't need these parish groups. I'm actually pretty good. Got my friends. Got my community. Doing pretty well in life. I don't need it. But let's flip the paradigm. What if the group needs you? Do you know how empowering and exciting and freeing this should be? That is what is so beautiful about the imagery of the body. Every part matters, even if you don't view yourself as mattering. I often hear that we are the hands and feet of Christ. Have you heard that, 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 that little saying before? Um, it's, a, it's a popular little saying that, that the church, that God's people are the hands and feet of Christ in the world. And that's true, and it, and it fits with the image of the body of Christ. In fact, that's where, that's where it comes from. But you know what hands and feet 
need, they're actually pretty worthless without elbows and knees. Could you imagine living without your elbows and knees? What good are hands and feet without elbows and knees? Just arms and legs aimlessly flopping around. Every single part is necessary. So don't think you are insignificant and useless because you aren't the part you think you should be. Discover who God has made you to be and fulfill that role within the body. So again, how about this as a, just a really quick application here to where we are right now, particularly tonight. Don't join a parish group just because you need community. Join a parish group because our community needs you. Don't join a group because you feel like you need a group. Go join a group because there's a group that needs you. Now, having said all that, it is still obviously true that the body doesn't just need you. You need the body. Let's look at that as our second observation here. You need the body. Look at 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You're not allowed to say that. If the community of Christ is indeed a body, then you need others. In fact, you cannot exist. Literally, you cannot exist without others. I said in my first point that if you reject community, you are crippling the body. And that is true. But here's the thing. The body will continue on, handicapped though it may be. You will notice in Paul's allegory here that um, the, the only vital part he speaks of is Jesus, who is the head of the body. That's the only one you can't lose, is Jesus, the head. The body can live without a finger, without a foot. None of us are vital organs. None of us are a head. However, you won't survive without the body, is the point of the imagery. A body can go on without an eye, and I cannot go on without a body. If I made the decision tomorrow that I am done with the body of Christ, I am done with Christian community, that choice would not be the end of this church, but that choice would be the end of me. My soul would shrivel up and die. I'm not saying, I'm, don't press that for doctrinal accuracy. I'm not saying I'm losing my salvation, anything like that. Here's what I'm saying. That I would lose all spiritual vitality and make shipwreck of my faith in life. I would wake up one day, look in the mirror and say, what has happened to me? My life is intertwined with so much sin. My heart is so calloused. My soul is so restless. I'm so bitter. I'm so joyless. How did I get here? And the answer will be very easy. I cut myself off from the lifeblood of Christianity, the body of Christ. Now, I wonder why God made it this way. Why can't we just do Christianity alone? Why can't we just, why do we have to need each other this way? Well, because that's the nature of God himself. With all of its mystery, and I would even say inscrutability, that word is lost in the church today when it comes to God. Inscrutability means you can't understand it. You can't fathom him. Sorry, don't even try. With all of the inscrutability of the Trinity, I love the doctrine of the Trinity. 
Because what it does is it maintains the orthodox conviction of monotheism while also prioritizing communal fellowship of love as the eternal attribute of the one true God. Both are able to exist. One God forever existing in relationship. One God, three persons eternally bound together in perfect community, harmony, peace, love, always committed to a loving fellowship that delights in another. And we are made in the image of this triune God, meaning we are literally incomplete apart from relationships. Apart from community, we cannot be whom God has made us to be. And that is the message of 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. You need others. And when I say others, I mean others who are different than you. Notice Paul didn't say, the left eye cannot say to the right eye, I have no need of you. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Here's, here's why that's important. What we tend to do within the body of Christ is hang out with our own parts. Because our own parts are easy for us because our own parts are us. So the eyes huddle up, the hands huddle up, the ears huddle up. But Paul is saying you don't just need people like you, you need people different than you. In fact, those parts that you don't think you need, those parts that you assume are unimportant, maybe even the parts that go unnoticed, those are the ones you really need. So what he's saying there, verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. Those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Do you know what he's saying there? There are parts of the body that nobody ever sees. Um, I think you know what he's talking about there. These modest parts that need to be covered up. These are parts that nobody ever sees. But he's saying we treat them with the greatest honor. (laughs) That that literally without those parts, the entire humanity dies off in one generation. That's how important those parts are. And so we push the illustration, the behind the scenes parts, not not the dude up here talking all the time. The people nobody ever sees, nobody ever notices, the behind the scenes parts are indispensable, crucial, vital to the body. We would die without you. So it is the body of Christ. You don't just need Christians. You need all types of Christians, even the ones you think you don't need. In preparation for this sermon, I went back through my journal to revisit a particular um, difficult season of my life. Um, a time that I truly felt the truth of this passage. You know, when you come to the end of yourself is when you start saying, oh yeah, this really is the body of Christ. I actually do need you people. And so I went back to that season, dark season of my life. um, And I found a note that I wrote to several of these people who walked with me through a time I want to read a passage, uh, a paragraph from it that I I ended up writing to, to several of them says this, if you're receiving this, then your name has appeared in my journal as God's mercy to me. Over the past year, you have been the voice of the Lord to reassure me, the rebuke of the Lord to discipline me, the tenderness of the Lord to comfort me, and the strong arm of the Lord to carry me. All I know to say is thank you. From the depths of my soul, thank you. The Lord will never forget your care of me, and treasures are yours in heaven. 
Now, that's articulating the need for the body of Christ. But, but here's, if you were to look at the list of people who received that note, you know what you're going to find? So much diversity. There were well-known pastors um, who you've probably heard of that got that note. And there were pastors of small rural congregations that you've never heard of and probably never will. There were businessmen. There were engineers. There were extroverts. There were introverts. There was upfront people and there was behind-the-scenes people. There was this one I found fascinating. There's John Sartell and Joe Novenson, two pastors who could not be more different and whose philosophies of ministry drive each other crazy. And I needed both. I needed every single one of these, and I still do. And you need the fullness of the body as well. I looked at, one of the, I looked at the makeup of one of our parish groups this week, and I literally laughed out loud at who all was going to be together tonight. It's so, it's so beautiful. The diversity of personalities and gifts and interests and life stages. I just, I would love to be a fly on the wall when they get together tonight. Just to watch them get to know each other. I think it's beautiful. Do you know what would make our communities a lot more attractive? A lot more easy? And probably in the short term, a lot more successful? And this is why churches do it is organize them according to similar affinities. We're going to put the eyes together over here. We're going, to, um, we're going to put the ears together over here, the feet together over here, the mouths together over here. But you know what um, that would effectively do? Strengthen your individualism by providing an opportunity for you to fellowship with you. But you need more than you, you need the body. It's more awkward. It's more difficult. It's more inconvenient. It's more exhausting. But it's exactly what you need. So the body needs you. And you need the body. Now in light of that truth, let me offer for us one practical application to take all of this out of theory and actually put it into practice. Here's what I would like, okay? I would like every single person who's listening to this to take one step closer to community. Here's what I mean. If you are one of those people who listens to our sermons online, and I know you're out there, um, I would like to invite you to join us for worship. Um, if you're listening to this online, but you never come to church, I just want to say to you, your faith needs more than a sermon podcast. It needs the community of God's people come to church. I don't know, I'm lecturing y'all, you're here. But if you're listening to this, come to church. You don't need a podcast. You need God's people. If you're a visitor here this morning, first time, or you're a person who regularly attends but perpetually acts like a visitor, slipping out of pew anonymously without even speaking to anyone outside of the time of our worship where we force you to speak to others, which you probably dread and hate. I would like for you to consider signing up for our next Foundations Weekend. It's, it's the first weekend of, of, of November. We offer them quarterly. If that one doesn't work, um, email the office. We can get you the dates of the other ones. But the, first, the next one coming up is in November, first weekend of November, Friday night, Saturday morning. I'd love for you to sign up for that. Um, that would be the next step for you. 
Um, it is our opportunity to get to know you and you to get to know us. If you, have, if you have attended one of our foundation's weekends but have not yet joined TCPC, I would like for you to join our church. Or if you can't, that's okay. You're not going to hurt our feelings. Let us help you find a church that you can join. That's, we'd love to do that. Church membership, though, is not a meaningless formality. It is the bind. It is the covenantal bind of the body of Christ. It it, it unites us to each other, not in this loose connection way, but in a covenantal way where you take vows and we take vows and we're together. Join this church or let us help you find a church to join. And if you're a member of TCPC, we want you in a parish group. We really do. The response has been overwhelming. Um, So many of you have already signed up, but a lot more have not. That's okay. Nobody's here to guilt you into signing up. But we would love for every member of Taste Creek Presbyterian Church to consider being in a parish group. Please contact Mark and ask him how to join a group. Now, listen, I'm saying this with a caveat. You've waited too late. So, um, the, the groups are full, as he said. Uh, the groups are full, and, and we got a lot of logistical um, uh, issues in front of us to make these work well. It's going to be a challenge. So I want you to reach out to Mark, but also be patient with us as we try to integrate you into these groups. We'll fit, we'll fit you in. It might have to be at the beginning of next year. It might have to be this time next year when we're launching our new groups. We might have to wait a whole year. But please, just contact Mark and say, whenever you can get me in, I want in. And he'll make that happen at some point. And if you're a member of TCPC that will gather together for the first time with your parish group this evening, um, you, that, that would be in our mind and estimation. That's a fully integrated member of our church. And thank you for, for, for doing that. Here's what I would like for you to discuss tonight in your groups, okay? Um, and, and, I think, and, and I think this is also going to serve us well by, by um, being a great way to get to know each other. Here, here are the questions I want your groups to discuss tonight. Why, and they're just my two main points. Why does your parish group need you, and why do you need your parish group? Why does your parish group need you? I want you to be honest about the unique glory that you are as an image bearer of God. The unique glory that you are bringing to this group. I want you to strut a little bit. Here's my gifts, here's my passions, here's my life story, here's my expertise. I want you, the uniqueness that you offer that group that nobody else in that room offers. And then I want you to answer this question, why do you need this group? I want you to be honest about the unique needs that you are bringing to this group. I'm not, you don't have to be crazy vulnerable on your first night, nobody's going to push you there or anything like that. Um, Maybe just one struggle one prayer request, one burden that's been keeping you up at night, one need that you have. Just just start the process of making your needs known to the body of Christ. The body of Christ needs you, and you need the body of Christ. And as we transition now to communion, let me remind you that Christ doesn't need you, but He wants you. You know the other main imagery in Scripture of the community of God's people is, don't you? It's not the body of Christ, it's the bride of Christ. Jesus does not practice sologamy. He practices monogamy. 
He is bound in covenantal love to a bride, and his bride is this body. Do you know why ultimately you want to be a part of this body? Yes, because the body needs you. And yes, because you need this body. But ultimately, you want to be a part of this body because Jesus is in love with this body. Jesus Christ died for this body so that Jesus Christ may have this body as the object of his love and delight forevermore. You want to be a part of this community because this is the community that Jesus wants. Let me pray. Or fill us with your, the good news of your love for us that we might be that to each other. Thank you that out of the overflow of eternal fellowship, you have created us as relational beings for each other. We do just together pray for the group's meeting tonight that um, your spirit would be with each of them and that they would laugh together and, and you would immediately build camaraderie and, and um, they would press through the awkwardness of getting to know each other and all those different things. And Lord, that this would be a church known in our community as a place for community. Lord, most of all, we, we, we come now to, to what is called communion because we believe this is, this is a moment where you commune with your people, where you are with us in a mysterious way. And so we pray that you would bless the Holy Sacrament. Meet us here. Fill us with your love for your bride. In Jesus' name, amen.